Welcome to the America's Quarterly Podcast. I'm Brian Winter. Mexico's president is promoting a referendum that critics say is vague and likely to fail. What is he really hoping to accomplish? It opens up the door even further than it already has been opened for the selective application of justice. He is manipulating what was a very good mechanism to promote citizen participation and twisting it for his own political ends. Once again, Mexico is holding a popular referendum under the presidency of Andres Manuel López Obrador. This time, on August 1st, Mexicans will vote on whether former presidents should be put on trial or not for past corruption and other misdeeds. Look, the America's Quarterly audience is a pretty sophisticated audience, so today we're not really going to debate whether the referendum is a good idea or not. It's clearly not. Uh, My personal opinion is that it sends a pretty bad message about the rule of law, uh, that justice is selective and subject to the popular will. The more interesting questions, I think, have to do with why AMLO, as Mexico's president is known, is doing this at a time when Mexico's economy is still underperforming, uh, suffering from one of the world's highest COVID caseloads with that number back on the rise and among other challenges. But the president still remains very popular, around 60% popularity in recent polls. So to discuss the president's motivations for holding the referendum and the potential impacts, as well as the state of AMLO's broader campaign against corruption, such as it is, I'm joined today by Denise Dresser. Denise is really one of Mexico's best-known political analysts. Uh, She's a columnist, an academic. She's a professor of political science at the Instituto Tecnológico Autónomo de México de ITAM and a contributor to America's Quarterly who just published an article about this subject for us. Denise, it's a real privilege to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. I very much enjoy my conversations with you. Well, thank you again for being with us. So, Denise, as promised... Let's just start off and, you know, go right to the point here. Why is López Obrador holding this referendum? López Obrador always plays, I'd say, a sophisticated political game, wherein he uses certain positions, certain decisions to create what I have called a performative presidency, a presidency that focuses on political theater, on distraction, on creating popularity for himself through a series of actions designed to make him seem like a true Democrat, like someone who is close to the people. And he is now holding this referendum, first of all, because he still wants to see himself perceived as a champion of participatory democracy. One of the reasons he won the presidency was because he railed against elites, against how dysfunctional Mexico's democracy was for the many. But he has tried to correct the ills of Mexican democracy with resorting to plebiscitarian exercises that are a far cry from what a consulta popular was designed to fulfill. I say this because in 2009, I was part of a a movement from civil society to push forward an electoral reform 
that would allow the creation of the Consulta Popular. It was one of the major positive changes of the last several years. But then L'Observador came along and decided to use what was a mechanism devised precisely to give the citizens a greater chance to have a voice. And he has distorted the consulta in order to have it provide political legitimacy for what his government wants, what he wants. And since the arrival of L'Observador to the presidency, he has said that many of Mexico's ills stem from past presidents. So he tried to set up the referendum to call for people to come out and throw them into jail. I can see, of course, the importance of prosecuting ex-presidents for past wrongdoing. I can also see the utility of the Consulta Popular as you know, originally sort of put together by you and other parts of Mexican civil society. What I think is bewildering, even to some people who follow Mexico, but particularly to members of our audience who don't follow Mexico on a day-to-day basis, is why AMLO thought he needed a consulta popular on something that in theory, in a state with rule of law, the courts should just feel free to undertake on their own if warranted. My hypothesis is that he wants the referendum to fail. He knows that that's the likely outcome because according to the electoral law, in order for the consulta to be binding, 40% of the electoral roll call has to vote. And that entails 5 million voters more than López Obrador got during his presidential bid in 2018. Although the polls show that over 80% of Mexicans would like these presidents to be tried, I very much doubt that voters are going to turn out in droves. And over the past several weeks, Morena has flooded Mexico with propaganda about go out and vote because this means that all of those presidents are going to end up in jail. And that could not be further from the truth. As you say, in a normal democracy with rule of law, had López Obrador decided that the attorney general's office should investigate, for example, his predecessor, Enrique Peña Nieto, for his dirty dealings with Odebrecht, López Obrador could have done so. And the reason he hasn't remains a mystery. And there seems to be some sort of political pact between him and Enrique Peña Nieto, a pact probably agreed upon during the presidential campaign. The traditional pact of impunity, whereby López Obrador offered political protection to Peña Nieto in return for Peña Nieto recognizing the results of the election and letting AMLO through the door. And there seems to be evidence that supports that pact, the primordial evidence being the fact that López Obrador has not proceeded against Peña Nieto, despite the accumulating evidence. And at the same time, López Obrador wants to be seen as the champion of participatory democracy, so he promotes the consulta. So check that off his list. Then he doesn't want to go after Peña Nieto and realizes that this allows him to save face. If the consulta fails in terms of participation, as it most likely will, 
he can turn around and say, hey, I listened to the people. Yo escuché al pueblo. El pueblo habló. The people have spoken. And not enough people want me to delve into the past. It allows him to escape from a promise he made during the campaign. It's kind of a dangerous game, though, isn't it? I mean, I, as you noted, there was a El Universal poll that came out just a few days ago on July 22nd. It said that 89% of Mexicans think former presidents should face justice, while 65% say it's somewhat or very important to vote in the referendum. And I understand your argument for why he still might not get to 40% participation, which is, as you noted, what's necessary for this to be binding. But it might be kind of close, right? I mean, if your goal is to kind of half do it, isn't it kind of a risky bet? Well, the way in which the question is posed gives him a lot of leeway in terms of how to respond. The question does not force him to investigate past presidents. It could lead to the creation, for example, of a truth commission. So let me now read the original question that his government wanted to ask, and then the modified version following the ruling from the Supreme Court. The original question was, are you or are you not in favor of the appropriate authorities in accordance with applicable laws and procedures, investigating and where appropriate, punishing the alleged commission of crimes by former presidents, Carlos Salinas de Gortari, Ernesto Zedillo, Vicente Fox, Felipe Calderón, and Enrique Peña Nieto before, during, and after they held office. Wow, okay, so that's pretty specific. But then the Supreme Court ruled that it was actually too specific and unconstitutional. And so the question that will actually be asked to the electorate is much more vague. It is, and I quote, are you or are you not in favor of the pertinent actions being taken in accordance with the constitutional and legal framework to undertake a process of shedding light on the political decisions made in past years by political actors aimed at guaranteeing justice and the rights of potential victims? I mean, that's a huge difference. And that sounds to me more like a truth commission, even though Mexican voters may think that they're essentially voting for the original version. The question is so ambiguous that it gives López Obrador a lot of room to maneuver. If in an unexpected turnout, the consulta were to be successful, López Obrador could turn around and say, I'm going to set up a truth commission. And a truth commission is very different from prosecuting former presidents. Many people who go to vote think, oh, if I vote, Carlos Salinas, who was president between 1988 and 1994, will be thrown in jail for being neoliberal. The vagueness of this exercise means that López Obrador could let them off the hook. The key problem here is that the president whose misdeeds are clear, present, and still affecting Mexico is Enrique Peña Nieto. And he could get off scot-free because of the consulta. That is the paradox of it, that instead of combating corruption and putting an end to entrenched impunity, the consulta could end up validating the perpetuation of that by providing López Obrador with political cover for a political decision to not investigate Peña Nieto 
and the fact that this administration has not proceeded against him, nor has it proceeded in a systematic way against corruption of the past three years, I think it raises the question of how serious Lopez Obrador truly is about combating corruption and impunity. And it opens up the door uh, even further than it already has been opened for the selective application of justice and the politicization of the justice system, which is precisely what we were fighting against when some of us, many of us, voted for him. Because his promise was, we're not going to do what past presidents did. We're not going to go after our enemies. We're going to use the law. And here, he's not using the law. He is manipulating what was a very good mechanism set up to promote citizen participation and twisting it for his own political ends. Denise, this is the part that I don't understand, which is assuming that this is true and that this referendum is essentially a cynical gesture of empty populism that AMLO actually secretly wants to fail. Why does he want it to fail? I mean, I, a guy who, you know, has an approval rating of 60%, who has, you know, still even after the midterm legislative elections, considerable support in Congress. Why isn't he following through on these promises that he made during the campaign? Why is he risking losing people, you know, one-time supporters such as yourself by not looking into these darker episodes of Mexico's past? I mean, why, why is he doing this? One, because he's promised to protect Peña Nieto and several key figures from the past. Two, because he's militarized Mexico and looking into the past would entail looking into, for example, Salvador Cienfuegos, who was recently exonerated by López Obrador's attorney general after being captured in the United States. That general is scot-free. And three, because if the people go out and speak and there aren't enough numbers, the president can say, you see, I've always said that we should look forward because there was a López Obrador during the campaign and there is a López Obrador who was president. The López Obrador of the campaign was close to the victims, spoke their language, yet when he arrived into office, he changed his tune after meeting with the top brass of the military after seeing the levels of violence that he had inherited. And he decided that those promises were not to be fulfilled during his administration, that if he wanted to pacify the country, and I'm sure this is what the military suggested to him, he needed their help. So things have changed, both in terms of the context and in terms of his own approach. And he has said repeatedly in the Mañanera, this is the greatest paradox, that he would not vote in the consulta, that it is not his desire to look into the past, that Mexico needs to focus on the future. So this is a very complicated game that he's playing. As you said, it could be dangerous if the consulta ends up becoming legally binding. And if it is, he can create some sort of escape valve through the establishment of some sort of commission that would have a limited mandate. And in the meantime, remember that he's coming out of a midterm where his party won big in terms of state governorships, 
but he did not get the majority in Congress that he was hoping for. And most importantly, he suffered a stinging blow in Mexico City. Half of Mexico City voted against Morena, the party that has governed the city since 1997. So I think it's also a question of pride, having people go out there and participate in the consulta so that he can at least say, you see, people still support me. Does that sound absurd to you? As absurd as many of us are viewing the consulta, which after everything I've explained, should not be taking place. We're not seeing the professionalization of the judicial system. So this is the long-term concern for many of us. You asked me, Denise, if I thought it seemed absurd. And I, rather than answer yes or no, I'll just say that this whole process, this whole story strikes me as another example of how through a certain amount of posturing, perhaps theater, he has managed to maintain this very high approval rating. I mean, now it's a little bit lower. It's at about 60%, but a very high approval rating, even though he's not really delivering results in the areas that Mexicans also say are very important to them. Let me give some specific examples because I, I want to now broaden the conversation a little bit beyond this referendum and, and look at Mexico as a whole. In a poll that was taken in June, Mexicans said that the main problem in the country, 35% of them said that crime was the biggest issue. 21% said the economy and unemployment, and 12% said COVID. Now, there's nuance to all three of those things, but the picture on none of those things is particularly good. Maybe this is just another attempt to give people something to talk about, to channel the disgust that polls also show many feel against Mexico's previous politicians and to, you know, keep the plate spinning to maintain this popularity that, you know, continues to be his biggest asset. I'm glad you brought that up because in the midst of one of Mexico's deepest economic crises with a pandemic that has placed us in one of the worst situations worldwide in the number four position in terms of absolute number of deaths and with violence that continues unabated and is growing, he remains very popular. But there's a disjuncture between his personal popularity and the evaluation of his government. If you look at the more granular polls on specific issues, there you see a population that does not believe that things are getting better, but that things are getting worse. And precisely because of that, we saw the results that we saw in Mexico City, where Morena suffered that had to do with the fact that his government is not delivering, and also with the collapse of the Linea 12 of the metro that led to the deaths of, I think, 29 people. And I'd say it was a crucial turning point for the president because here there was no one from a past administration to blame. The left has governed Mexico City since 1997. The left built the Linea 12. So there was a punishment vote. And for López Obrador to not face that punishment vote in 2024, or for his hand-picked successor to not face that vote, he has to keep on distracting. He has to keep on focusing on the past, on 
Calderón's militarization, on Peña Nieto's corruption. He has to keep on doing things like allegedly selling the presidential plane because it was an emblematic case of corruption and of privilege. All of that is is farcical, yet it is very entertaining. And we are living through, I'd say worldwide, an era of entertainment replacing politics. You saw that in the U.S. with Trump's performative presidency. And Lopes Obrador still believes that he can do that. And it's worked at least for him, because in the midst of these deep problems that are growing, by the way, Mexico is now facing the third wave of COVID related to the Delta variant and is as unprepared as it was when the pandemic began. In all likelihood, we're going to see a a dark period for the country. And instead of COVID being at the center of the attention, the Consulta Popular will be there. I mean, Denise, now you've got me wondering if we accidentally fell into the trap right? by spending so much of this podcast discussing this referendum instead of, for example, COVID response, right? I mean, I, you know, maybe we got suckered into this one too. Let me ask you, is there anything at this point that could fundamentally damage his popularity. Granted, he's seen his popularity decline somewhat from you know the high 70s to its current level today, but he's still very popular, especially by the standards of kind of 21st century polarization. He's already underperforming on the crime front, which is what Mexicans say is you know the country's most important issue. The economic picture is very much mixed. I mean, there's been somewhat of a stronger economic recovery this year, in large part because the U.S. has been you know kind of engaged in this vigorous recovery itself. But is there anything that would change his fortunes at this point, or is it going to be more or less the same story for the second half of his sexennial? Up to now, he's remained extraordinarily unscathed by the damage wrought by by COVID. I'd say, if I had to make a prediction, that he will continue to be popular until the end of his term. He is able to maintain that popularity given his charisma, the mañanera, the way in which he speaks. The problem becomes what happens when his term ends. Because I foresee that we're going to see a resurrection of the dedazo, the practice whereby the outgoing president selects his successor. It's a practice that we thought the democratic transition, or at least the electoral transition to democracy, had ended. I foresee that López Obrador will, will choose either someone like Claudia Sheinbaum, the mayor of Mexico City, or Marcelo Ebrard, the, the current minister of foreign affairs, and he will disguise that dedazo with some sort of poll or some sort of exercise whereby people believe that the party has conducted some version of an internal primary, although that will not be the case. And then the challenge is, how does AMLO's personal popularity get translated into electoral support for his successor? It's going to be very difficult for whoever succeeds him to maintain that aura, to carry out a performance in the way in which he does. He is a master of twisting words when he is confronted with evidence, data, about anything, about foreign investment, about lack of growth, about the spread of COVID. And 
people because they like him are willing to accept that. I think it's going to be much harder for whoever succeeds him and probably governs because part of the problem here is the Mexican opposition. The Mexican opposition that is discredited, that is divided, that that, that is incapable of, of, of presenting a coherent, alternative, attractive narrative to Lopez Obrador. So let's assume that Morena wins the next presidential race and that the next president is someone like Sheinbaum or Ebrard. They're not going to have the personal magic, the capacity to distract that he has turned into a, a political art form. So that's where I see the problems, not in the short term, but in the next two or three years when someone else comes into office and tries to govern what is going to become a very difficult country to govern. Just to be clear, Denise, when you talk about the Dedaso, that, of course, was under one-party rule. I mean, other candidates were allowed to run, but they effectively had no chance at winning. You're not suggesting that what we're looking at three years from now is a potential circumvention of democracy as it's existed in Mexico since the 2000 election of Vicente Fox. Yes, Lopez Obrador will engage in some process to select his successor. That could be called a dedazo, but you still think this will be a, a free and fair election, correct? I think it will be a free election. I'm not exactly sure it will be a fair election for all sorts of reasons. One is that Lopez Obrador has resurrected the strong ties between the government and the party that led the PRI to become a dominant party for so long. And he has resurrected many of the clientelist practices that led the PRI to have an advantage. And so much of the transition during the 1990s was about leveling the playing field so that the opposition could actually win. The opposition in Mexico will run, but the chances of it winning when the playing field is no longer level because it's been altered by this president, that's going to be a real challenge. And another challenge is what happens to the Federal Electoral Institute in the next three years? This was the institution that guaranteed free and fair elections. And many of us fought for many years to make sure that it became autonomous, that it was professional. And Lopez Obrador has made a habit of going after it, of trying to discredit it, of saying that it's a political institution that costs too much, that has an opposition agenda, and so on. His consistent attack on the electoral authorities in Mexico has not had the impact that he wished. It's interesting to see that after the midterms, the National Electoral Institute ended up in the polls with higher credibility than the president has. So that gives me hope that Mexicans will defend an institution which they view as key to sustaining Mexican democracy. The problem is what happens outside of the polling place, not the day of the election, but the months prior to that. The National Electoral Institute has already fined Morena and has chided the president for engaging in illegal behavior, for using the mañanera as a way of promoting his party. So those are the lines that are going to be blurred between now and the presidential election in 2024. 
And that's what's worrisome. I do not believe that Lopez Obrador could get away with widespread fraud, and he may not even need to, because I think Morena will continue. Just because of the inertia of this presidency, the popularity of this president, and the fact that there's a lackluster, as I said, discredited, divided opposition that has not managed to come up with not only an alternative strategy or an alternative candidate. Today, there's no one out there who compares to Lopez Obrador in terms of name recognition, popularity, political capacity, and that is going to weigh heavily in an election that I think will be free, I worry that it may not be fair. Well, another thing to worry about you know, as we look forward, and, and certainly part of this democratic erosion potentially that, that we've seen throughout so much of the Western world, including here in the United States, all worth watching. Denise, you know, it's, it's just such a luxury for us to be able to talk to you about these things. Thank you so much for joining us on the AQ podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the America's Quarterly podcast. You can read more at americasquarterly.org. Finally, if you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review, give us a rating, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The America's Quarterly podcast is produced by Brendan O'Boyle and Leonie Rawls. America's Quarterly is an independent, not-for-profit publication of America's Society and the Council of the Americas.